I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Amanda. She has breast cancer. Let's talk about it. Here we are. We are hanging out with Amanda, and um, we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about cancer. Just a heads up, right? Right. Okay. Little Woo-hoo. little like spoiler alert. We're gonna get into the cancer talk. Um, but uh, before we do, do you know what uh, Amanda does or is in the in the process of doing right now with her life? Uh, I do not. But do you want me to guess? Yes. Uh, Amanda is in the process. Uh, how about this? How about this? I'll give you. I'll give you a little hint. Okay. That, right? so I mean, that would be helpful. She's a student of what? Fourth year student of what? She is a fourth year student of the uh, circus school, and in in particular, she <laughs> does um, she does silks. Um, she uh, climbs all the way to the ceiling of the rafters of the circus arena. And then allows herself to drop all the way down to the bottom. And she just, in this fourth year of school, learned how to catch herself right before she hits the floor. Nailed it. No. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Amanda is a fourth-year veterinary student um, out of Colorado State University. I love animals. I, so do I. And, yeah. you know, I, I've, been, I've been wanting to talk to a vet on the show for a long time. But that's not what we're, we're here to talk about. <laughs> Um, but, but I, but I do have a question, Amanda, I am wondering as a vet, as a vet student in your fourth year, how similar is it to, um, uh, is it similar at all to like, uh, med school where like you have to basically choose like the, like, are there specialties for vet, vet veterinarians and, and do you have to like do a residency? Like how does the, how does the schooling work in terms of becoming a vet? Uh, nearing the end of your your education. Yeah, it's wild times. They actually, the timing of your question is funny because yesterday was literally match day, which is what they have to do. So I, so I did not apply to the match. I have no business doing a year long internship, which is basically like hundred plus hour weeks getting paid 30 grand for a year of like suffrage and then three years of a residency. I'm way too old for that (laughs) at this point in my life. But a majority of my classmates from last year, from my original class before I went on medical leave, um, just applied to the match this past December and found out yesterday, like where they're spending the next three to four years of their life, essentially. So yeah, anyone that wants to go into a specialty, so you do the four years of your DVM, so your doctor of veterinary medicine. And then if you want to go into specialty, let's say oncology or ophthalmology or surgery, Um, so if you want to become board certified, essentially, then you do at least one year of a small or large animal rotating internship, which is at a different school than where you did your, um, primary education for your DBM. And then a lot of them have to do a second year of a specialty internship 
and then they will go on and do a three-year residency. So it can be up to five, six further years of school past your four years of your DVM if you want to become board certified. And then they, after they're done with that three-year residency program, they'll sit for boards. Um, so yeah, it's insane. And it's like, I mean, depends on if you go into private um, practice or into a university setting, but a lot of them are not paid well at all. Um, so it is very much a passion career because, mm. you know, if you become spe- a specialist, you're paid fairly well, but still not nearly what a human doctor will make. And our debt and even and somebody like me who does a four year degree as a vet, like I will probably make a quarter of what a human doctor will make. Uh, what my, my one other question about that is, um, you know, so so obviously there's the specialties, but then do you, do you have like an ability to choose this, a specialty of type? of animal, right? So like, you know, my vet sees cats and dogs and, and I'm sure they see the other domesticated animals. I, I'm sure. But not horses. But like, yeah, they're not going to, like, maybe. I don't mind my vet that I take yeah. donut to is going to, is going to see a cow or a yeah. horse, right? Amanda, you said, you said like the small and large animals as like a distinction. Like, is that the difference? Like is there's it, yeah, a right. line there or? Yeah, where's the line? <laughs> Yeah, it can be a blurred line, but yeah, it's definitely like you can go into small animal medicine or like small animal GP, which is basically dogs and cats. And then some clinics or universities will also see like exotic pets, you know, rabbits, ferrets, bearded dragons, that sort of thing. Um, Or you could go into large animal medicine, which is actually a big contingent of us, my classmates here in Colorado, because a lot of them grew up on farms or, you know, they own horses as pets their passion is either like livestock medicine. So like production animal medicine, whether that's cattle or goats, you know, sheep, um, that sort of thing, pigs even, or, um, they'll go strictly into equine medicine. So I have some, like, there are lots of like real horsey people here, which I am not one of love horses. Don't want to do medicine on them. They're like a whole different beast. Um, but yeah, so like you can go into equine medicine specifically, you can go into bovine medicine or which is cow, um, or you can do mixed. So I have a few friends that graduated last year and they went into mixed animal general practice. So like you would bring donut into one of my friends, but then his next appointment might be, you know, a 2,000 pound bull. So it's like, it's, Whoa. yeah, it's really dependent wow, on what you want to do. Like, that's the cool thing is like, there's just so many options in vet med and there's such a great need for vets of like all different varieties. So, um, like my background's mostly wildlife right. and I really want to work with like small animal, like rescue dog and cats, but I also love wildlife medicine and like aquatic stuff. So there's even like jobs for people who want to only work with dolphins as a vet. So it's pretty cool. That's so yeah. cool. You know, I imagine that veterinary school is like, you've got like the most diverse group of students because I think back to like the, my, like the kids I, I went to elementary school with and the types of people who would have became like vets from that group. And you have like the snake kids <laughs> Yeah. And then yeah, the, you have the so horse true. kids yeah. and then you have like the marine biology, like, like dolphin kids. Those are totally different people. But yeah. then it's imagine so them true. all going to school together and like choosing like you could, you probably like, you probably like look at your like classmates <laughs> in those like first four years before they're oh, specializing. 100%. Like, that's the snake now, kid. I, I like, know. Like I, fucking... I, I know. So there, there was a guy, there was a guy, Justin, that I went to school with who was like the snake kid. He had a bunch, he had a bunch of like reptiles and snakes. Um, but when you say horse kid, are you talking about the the the? Because everybody had this person in their class who acted like a horse all the time. No, no, I'm talking about like I, I'm like, talking about the horse girl. I'm talking about the girl that like galloped and neighed 
<laughs> and like that's all she did at recess. And everyone was like, "Man, do you know Kristen really loves horses?" Yeah. Well, so I had I had both those people. I had the horse girl who galloped, and I also had the horse girl that just loved horses right. and like wore her wore her cowgirl boots every day with like the spurs on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So so okay. All that to say, then, um, you know, it, obviously, veterinary school. I can imagine is um is something that is like extraordinarily time consuming is is very you know like all schooling but you know when you get into medicine of any sort it's it's very stressful um and you know you're in your fourth year right now but in your third year um the stress levels probably peaked uh because that was when you found out that there was something going on with your body um maybe you can take mm-hmm. us back to um back to that third year when you when you found out i know that there was like a sort of surprise lump and you didn't really deal with it um right then and there when you found it there was a little bit of time before things kind of evolved yes that is very very true (laughs) um so yeah i was in third year and during our third year curriculum here you start doing like externships so basically you start doing things that are a little bit more specialized into what your uh, quote unquote track is. So whether that's large, small animal, that sort of thing. Um, And a lot of my interest lies in wildlife medicine. So I was, you know, I had applied to all of these externships in different parts of the country and like international externships to get some more training in wildlife medicine and that sort of thing. So I was just super busy with externships and I was like going down to Denver for some of them and different sanctuaries and whatnot. Um, and so, and sorry, if you hear, I have two dogs here that are currently getting head massages from me to keep them from jumping up on my lap. But, um, so yeah, I was in the middle of, I was in the middle of, (laughs) um, I was in the middle of all that. And then just vet school, you know, normal studying, basically you're like spending at least one day every weekend, just studying to try to keep up with everything. So, just super busy. And, um, I was on an externship down in Denver. I was staying at my boyfriend's place while he was out of town and I was exercising. And I noticed like, I was like doing a jumping jack or something weird. And I like felt something weird in my left breast. And I was like, Hmm, this is odd. So I kind of like felt it. And I was like, eh, it's probably nothing. Like my sister had gotten, um, a mammogram the year before, cause she's five years older than me. And they had just told her like, yeah, you've got like a benign, I think she had like a little lump that was biopsied and they were like, you just have really dense breast tissue. And like my family did not have any, you know, past of breast cancer or anything. And I, I was 35 at the time. So I'm 37 now. So I was like, well, it's probably just nothing like whatever. I'll just, I, I won't worry about it too much. And I also, I had breast implants. And so I was like, it's probably just like the edge of, you know, my implant feeling like there's probably just some like scar tissue or something like the capsule has ruptured or something like that. Um, cause my boyfriend and I do a lot of like backpacking trips and, and at one point like that had happened and I had gone and gotten it checked and the surgeon was like, Oh, this happens all the time. It's just like the capsule around your implant. And so when I found this lump, I just assumed it was something totally benign and I didn't need to think about it. So of course I just kept like mm. going to externships and traveling and doing vet school and whatnot. And then one of my trips, I was abroad and like I got bit by a tick. And so I got this like infection from this tick and my lymph nodes got all big. And at that time I was like, either 
this is something that I got from this tick or I have like lymphoma or something's happening because my lymph node in my left armpit just got giant. Like it was like a golf ball. And I was like, I should probably go in when I get back and actually get this like figured out. And so sure enough, when I got back, um, where were you on that trip? Um, I was in South Africa. So I was in, um, there's this little town called Hoodsprit that's like outside of Kruger National Park. And I was at a wildlife rehab facility there, basically like learning how to do, you know, bush medicine. <laughs> so it was super cool. Like it was incredible. Oh, that's um, so cool. That's very cool. Yeah, it was, it was really a, an amazing time, but I was, I re- literally wrote in my journal, like, I, there's something happening. My tumor or lump, whatever's in my breast is now in my lymph node. Cause this was before I knew I had like an infection. So I was like, oh shit, like whatever's in my breast has now grown to my lymph node. And that's, but then I went on like antibiotics and I was fine. Like the lymph node went away, but that was kind of my like impetus to be like, yeah, I, I definitely need to go in and, and get a mammogram now. Like this is, this is not okay anymore. And so when I got back, I had an email from my primary care provider, just reminding me like, Hey, remember when you brought up that like potential lump you found six months ago? Like, I think you should get a mammogram now. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I agree. So that was in August of 2021. Wow. Um, and then I, um, went in and got a mammogram and they were like, Oh yeah, there's definitely some really suspicious, very large looking things happening in your left breast. I think we need to get you an ultrasound today. And then they did the ultrasound and they were like, yeah, we need to get you a biopsy also today. So it all kind of happened within like one or two days. So sorry, my dogs are now going to, Hey, no playing. (laughs) <laughs> oh, 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 oh my god oh my god don't even tell me you have two french mastiffs i have i have one french mastiff and one hey 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 i have a french mastiff and a boxer rhodesian ridgeback mix <laughs> oh my god my, so my my first dog ever was a was a was a 125 pound french mastiff no way Oh my and he gosh. looks just like that big fucker. Oh my god! Yeah, R.I.P. Bigby. Shout out to uh, one of the best dogs of all time. They're so they're just so amazing. Jerry, and you also love Rhodesian Ridgebacks. I too. do. I do love the Ridgeback too. <laughs> That's true. Um, so okay, I guess the the first so the first question is you got you got bit by a tick, which sucks. <laughs> um, and uh, and I'm curious, like, did you did you ever find out like what the fuck that what like you know what you didn't get Lyme disease or anything? I'm, I'm assuming, but like what. What kind of illness did you pick up from the tick? So I, we were at this like rehab center in the middle of the bush and I had been like doing this dive thing the week prior. And I think that's where I got the tick. Cause I was like playing with, of course, all the like dogs that are just like covered in, mm-hmm. in African ticks. Um, but I didn't realize I was with my brother and I didn't realize that's what it was at first. And I, I had, we had been wearing a wetsuit for a few days and I like had this gross, like red, like pustule on my stomach. And I was like, is this like a zit from like wearing a wetsuit for like, this is gross. And he was like, yeah, that is gross. And I was like, I don't know what it is. And then I started, and this is like, we were there like kind of during a COVID lull. So I was like, I I woke up one night and was like covered in cold sweats. And I was about to go to this rehab center for my externship. And I was like, holy shit, like, do I have COVID? Like what's going on? Still not putting two and two together that like this red inflamed bite is probably giving me my symptoms. And then as the week went on, I just got progressively more like cold, sweaty and like fluey and blah, blah, blah. 
but I was like in this like bush camp essentially. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to be like the new student that arrives and is like, I got to go to the doctor. Like I have to get, you know, some, someone from the staff to drive me like two hours to this doc, this tiny town doctor. And so I just like kept thinking like, okay, like maybe I just have some low grade virus, but I was just so like fluey and I was just like, so like clammy all the time and had a fever. And there was another woman there who was doing an externship and she was, um, she was, um, British and she was like, my mom died of septicemia. I'm not going to let you die of whatever it is is going on with you. You're going to the doctor. So I was like, okay. So they brought me to the doctor and literally within like 10 minutes, the doctor was like, oh yeah, that's a tick bite. You have tick bite fever. That's why you have a giant lymph node on your left side where the bite is. And that's why you have had a fever for the last four days. Um, so they put me on doxycycline. So it was just some sort of weird bacteria that some ticks carry. Um, so it was like similar to a Lyme disease, but not nearly as like long-term. So it was gone within like two days. That's right, fine. <laughs> right. So then that's the, that the tick bite is completely unrelated yeah. from the cancer, obviously. Yeah. But, but, uh, it's interesting how, like, because I think of little things that, you know, I, I feel like most people, like I have this, this mole on my, on my arm that sometimes gets a little bit irritated. And I start, I start to wonder, like I spent a lot of time in the sun as, um, mm-hmm. as a, a kid racing, um, canoeing. And so I always, oh, in the cool. back of my mind, it's like always, I always think like, Oh, I should be conscientious of like moles and things like that because, you know, I probably have a higher risk of getting melanoma. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes when that mole gets irritated, I think like I should go to my doctor, but I never actually do it. But if but if <laughs> I but if I got bit by a tick and I like had a swollen lymph node and it was like on my side where that mole is and I was thinking like holy shit, this might be cancer. Um it would I could see how that would very easily like send me to the doctor to take my other thing more seriously. I think we all like, have these things that like, you know, we should probably take more seriously, but we don't because, you know, life goes on sort of thing. That's exactly. Um, yeah. That's exactly yeah. how it happened. I was like, Oh shit. Like, even if this isn't like related to whatever lump is happening, like this is te- the universe is telling me that I should yeah. go investigate further. <laughs> and you sort of put like two and two in your head together, like, oh, this could be from that thing that I experienced. And then even when it's not because you had that like sort of scare that it might be, it's yeah. worth going to check it out. Yeah, I totally, 100%. I totally yeah. Yeah. see that. Uh, well, uh, and it happened on my left side where my tumor was. So it was like kind of lucky that it happened right. like right. just left of center. And that was the lymph node that got inflamed because I was like, yeah, because I literally wrote in my journal, like, I think I have lymphoma, like there's mm-hmm. something going on. And it wasn't the right type of cancer, but it was definitely were, yeah, my brain being something. like, shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you got home yeah. and like had the, the like saw an email from your primary caregiver that was like, hey, you should, you know, come in and, and get checked out. Did did you just go in and, and end up getting a mammogram then or what, what happened? Yeah. So she basically emailed me. She's awesome. She was like, Hey, remember when you told me like four months ago about this lump? And I said that we should probably order you a mammogram, but that like, maybe it was related to your breast implants. She was like, I really have been thinking about it a lot. And I really think we should order you that mammogram. And I was like, yeah, I think so too, especially now. Cause it's grown fast in the last few months. And like this happened in Africa and she was like, all right, I'm going to order you a mammogram today. And I was in within like a week. Wow. So, yeah, I well, one thing that I'm that I'm sort of curious about, and I, I don't think we've ever asked anybody <laughs> this, but um, 
How does a mammogram work? I mean, and maybe this is a fucking dumb question, so I apologize if it is. It's but not. how does a mammogram work with implants? Is that is, like it does it is it is it different from from someone who doesn't have implants? Like, is or are there like certain risks involved? Or yeah, there's not really necessarily risks, but they just they can't see as much, so they have to like uh. angle things a little different, and they just have to like smush a little harder and like oh. take like forty different angles. So yeah, it's like. I would say it's like a little bit more uncomfortable, but it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't anything where I was like, I can't handle this. It was just definitely, they were like, all right, you've got implants. We have to make like some special considerations. Yeah. But they were, I mean, my tumor was big enough at that point. I had like one giant one that was like up here and then I had like three smaller ones that were like closer down, like towards my nipple. And they were like, they were like within the first two or three shots, they were like, oh yeah, we can definitely see that. Oh, shit. So I let it yeah. go way too long. Yeah. When, and like, I mean, obviously they, they would have, I mean, I'm guessing they would have to biopsy, but like mm-hmm. it, just through the screenings, were they like, eh, this looks like cancer? Or like when, when was the first time that you heard like the, the, the big C word? Yeah, it was that day. It was literally yeah. as the doctor who was doing the biopsy, he was like, all right, lay on your side. And like, I'm not squeamish about, about doctor stuff. Like it has never bothered me. And he was like, we're going to put four giant needles into this big tumor. And I was like, Oh, tumor. And then he was like, uh, this big mass. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like, I don't know if he's trying to make it sound more benign, but like, he totally like misspoke. And I was like, Oh, okay. And I was like, that's cool. Like do whatever you need to do. And he was like, we just have to get really good samples. And like, as he took the fourth one out, he was like, I shouldn't be saying this and you won't get your results till tomorrow, but I'm really sorry. You're about to be dealing with this during vet school. And I was oh. like, Ooh, okay. He basically just diagnosed me without like saying the C word. So, Whoa. and then, yeah, I got the results in my like cancer or my like UC health, whatever portal the next day, like sitting by myself in my car. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's wild. um, I'm curious, like, like when you talk about it now, like it's it's very sort of like matter of fact, like this is what happened. But uh, I'm curious, like uh, emotionally, was what was it like to to like hear that and sort of have him tell you that in in that moment? I think I was like expecting it at that point because of what like how quickly it had grown. But I think I was still very much in like a. I'm too busy for this shit kind of mode. And so for me, it wasn't, I'm also like, I'm like an annoying Midwest, like people pleaser type person. And so for me, I didn't want to be like overly emotional or overly, like, I don't, I didn't want to be that like difficult patient who asked all the questions. So I was kind of just like, Oh, okay. Shit. Like, I guess he is confirming my worst fears, but like, I also just need to just kind of be like stoic in this moment. And I don't know, I, it didn't really hit me until the next day when I got those results in my chart. Cause I think that night I still had some hope of like, Oh, maybe this will turn out to be just some weird thing with my breast implant. He's totally wrong. Mm. And then when I got those uh, results, I was actually like about to go in and make my dog a bunch of like chicken and rice. Cause he had had like blowout diarrhea the night before. So I was like, cool. Like I just found out I have cancer and now I'm about to go like make this giant pot of rice for my dog. And I was like stirring the rice and the steam was just like coming up in my face. And I just remember like in that moment, all of a sudden being like, Oh fuck. Like, Mm. like my life has changed in a very drastic way. Like, I think that's when I went from like denial to like, shit, I have to face this. So I wouldn't say there was like a moment where I was like emotionally like, 
it didn't really hit me until I was kind of like in the process of everything mm-hmm. of like what, what a big deal it was. Um, mm-hmm. It definitely took me like a, a full month before I was like kind of out of the like denial. I don't have time for this kind of phase. Mm-hmm. Had you, um, had you like told other people that you were going to these appointments and that these things were going on? I'm curious also like what it's like to, cause like I, 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 I can really imagine you, I mean, you paint a really vivid picture of like you standing there over a pot of rice, stirring it as, as you're thinking about this. And then I'm imagining like the next thing is like, oh fuck, like you have to tell people this too. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious like what that experience is like. Yeah. I think that was probably one of the harder parts of it. Cause I didn't want to be like, like my best friends and my family knew that I had like found a lump and like my boyfriend and stuff. But I think we were all still like, I'm young and healthy. Like it's not going to be anything. And my family's very much like, we're like, overall, we've been pretty, you know, lucky to be for the most part, very healthy people. And and we're also very like kind of Midwestern in like, everything's great and wonderful all the time. And like, you know, like nobody ever talks about like, there's no whining, there's no bitching, like, Mm. you know, you deal with it and, you know, we kind of grew up in a family where it was like, like very loving and nurturing, but like kind of walk it off mentality sort of thing. And so I think none of us really like expected like, oh shit, no, this is a really big deal. Um, And so for me, it was almost harder. The whole thing of like your caretakers and your family, like I think those people have it harder than I did as a patient. Cause like the whole time I kind of knew I was going to be okay. Um, but I wasn't sure that they were going to be okay. So I had a really hard time. I got way more emotional telling my family than I did when I was just like sitting by myself, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. I, I, I feel like, and like, I haven't been through anything like that. I mean, I've, I, my mom has had cancer and like going, like going through that with her and having the conversations Mm -hmm. has made me think about what that might be like. If I was in that position, I would feel a lot more stress about like emotional stress around the interactions with my friends and family and telling them that, mm-hmm. um, I think I would feel like, okay, this is the way that it is. And I'm going to try to deal with this. But like, then as soon as you, st- I, f- I feel like when you're vulnerable with your loved ones, like that's when like the floodgates of emotions oh. can really open up. Like hundred <laughs> percent. Like if I looked at my mom and had to tell her that and that I had cancer and, and to see the reaction on her face, it would immediately make me go, Oh fuck. And yeah. And totally break down. Yeah, that's exactly how it was. I would be fine and I'd be like, okay, like deep breathe. You're about to call your mom. You're about to call your sister. Cause I knew that the second that I heard their voice crack, then I was just, you know, it was all over. So yeah, that part was definitely difficult, but it was more just, um, yeah, it was just like trying to also, it was just so exhausting because everybody's asking the same questions. And like, I don't know what the hell's going on when I was first diagnosed. I was like, I don't know what triple positive means. I don't know, you know, what this HER2 protein, I don't know what breast cancer is. Like, I don't know what my survival rate might be. And so everyone's asking me all these questions and I was just like, I don't know how to answer these. So I think that was part of it too, is just like, there's a certain point within those first few weeks where you're just so fucking exhausted from talking Mm -hmm. about it Mm -hmm. that you just kind of become numb to it. And it's like less emotional and more just like, confusing and exhausting <laughs> did, did you feel driven to like look into those things so that you had a better vocabulary about what it was that you were like kind of set like set up for you know what's funny is like everyone would assume that I would because I'm such a like science nerd and like yeah. I'm I'm like pretty like 
like I, I love school and like, I, I like to like research things, but I don't like to research things unless they're like super interesting to me, even if they have to do with my like survivability. (laughs) So for me, I just listened to what my doctor said. And I like, my mom did a little bit of research. My sister did some research, but I literally would just like look at my pathology reports and I would like ask a couple questions and I would get the basic information and I would like write it down. And that's what I would tell people. And I literally like did no background research. Mm-hmm. Like I know a lot of people do, but I knew I was in really good care. Like I got, I went down and got, I consulted with a few doctors in Denver on recommendation of a friend who had gone through this, who was like an amazing angel for me at the beginning of all this. Cause she, she was like, this is what you need to do. Otherwise I would have been so lost, but I like consulted with doctors there and met with doctors here in Fort Collins and realized how lucky I was to be in a place that has like an amazing cancer center. And I was like, I'm just going to trust them because the more research I do outside of this is more time worrying about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm already like staying up all night, you know, being like, Oh shit. So I, I more just threw myself into the logistics of like, how is this going to work with vet school? Like I have to figure out medical leave. I have to figure out health insurance. Like how do I keep my student health insurance when I'm on a medical leave, you know? Um, how do I apply for secondary insurance? How do I, you know, figure out my financial aid? Like, do I have to return my financial aid for this year? Which I did. I had to reschedule my boards. Like I was supposed to take boards like two months after I was diagnosed. So I had to like contact the boards board and be like, Hey, like I have cancer. Like I need to reschedule, you know, for next year. And they like, wouldn't refund me. So I had to like, So it was just like all that kind of stuff. I just like threw myself basically into the logistical side of things rather than the like researching methods of treatment. Cause I was like, I don't, I don't want to spend any more time like fretting about that side of it. Like that's my oncologist job. I'm not a cancer expert. So I didn't want to go down that route. So I I know that you had like, um, you know, speaking of like going through the process of managing and dealing with cancer, your, your, um, your cancer journey was like kind of a roller coaster. Um, can Mm -hmm. you, can you walk us through like the, the temporary stage four diagnosis? Um, and, and like Mm -hmm. what the fuck that was all about? Yeah, it was so crazy. Like I look back at it now that I'm mostly like through it and I'm like, did that really happen to me? Like, I think I was also kind of repress, like repressing some of it, but also you're like low grade being poisoned the whole time you're on chemo. So I think I've kind of like forgotten a lot of it now. Cause I'm like, yeah. damn, like that was a lot. But anyway, so yeah, I, um, I was diagnosed as stage two cause it was in my lymph nodes. And so I had a double mastectomy cause I just wanted to get both sides taken off. I was like, I don't even want to think about the right breasts, like just take it all off. I'll get reconstructive surgery eventually. And so I did the double mastectomy and then they did something called an axillary lymph node dissection. So they took out 15 of my lymph nodes and I think four were positive for cancer. Um, And then they did this really cool like little microsurgery where they connected like my lymph vessel to like my vein. And so it like helps circulate your lymphatic system so you don't get like giant lymphedema arms. So anyway, I had this crazy surgery, you know, it was wild recovery, but everything was fine. I like had four drains coming out of me and like my mom had to help me. Like it's so the drains and stuff, it's just wild. But anyway, recovered from those and they had done this MRI at the beginning and they had found a mass on my liver 
And they were like, oh, it's probably just this thing called um, focal nodular hyperplasia. I think it is like, it's not super uncommon, but like your mass is pretty big. So let's monitor it. And so they did my surgery and then we redid an MRI and the mass had shrunk and they were like, oh crap, like it shrunk. And I had been on chemo. I did all my chemo right before I like... I was in chemo when I got my mastectomy and stuff. So I had been on chemo and this giant mass on my liver had shrunken and they were like, Ooh, that's not great. They were like, we should probably look into that further. So we did a biopsy and the biopsy came back inconclusive. So we were like, uh, they were like, well, it's probably like 50% chance that it's metastatic cancer. And I was like, okay. So then they were like, well, let's do a PET scan. And if it lights up on PET, then we know it's, you know, cancerous. And if it doesn't, it's not because a PET scan essentially, as I'm sure you guys know, it's like if cells are like reproducing really quickly, which they do with cancer, or if they're growing really quickly, it'll like light up on a PET scan. So they did a PET scan and sure enough, it light up, it lit up. And Ugh. they were like, so my oncologist was like, Oh, you know, that mass we thought was benign. Like, yeah, it's like 99. I think she gave me 95% your stage four metastatic and you've got a giant tumor in your liver. And I was like, all right, this is not great news. I just had this giant surgery. And so they were like, yeah, so we're going to, it was basically, it was like taking up three quarters of the, my left liver lobe. And they were like, yeah, we're going to take out your left liver lobe now. <laughs> like, okay. So of course my family, you know, I tell them that it's this like probable stage four and that was super emotional. And we're having all these chats about like, okay, where do we all need to travel to together? You know, if I have five years to live, like, let's go do this and this and this. Uh, and um, yeah, and it was crazy because it was just like, oh my gosh, like I'm just about to start my career. And like, yeah, it was wild. So we had like, I think it was two, three months of that. And then I had my liver surgery on April 1st um, of, let's see, that would have been 2022. And they took it out and I was in the hospital for like five days recovering. And I got a call from my, the, um, surgeon who took it out and she was like on vacation. So it was like really bad service. And I, she was like going in and out and she was like, so yeah, your results came back and it's benign. <laughs> like it turns out it was just this like focal nodular hyperplasia. So we just took out your left liver lobe, like, sorry, but it's benign. And I was like, oh shit. Okay. Well, that's very exciting news. Um, so yeah, I have this like giant scar wow. on my upper abdomen and I only have my right liver lobe and it turned out it was benign. And my oncologist was like, yeah, we might write this up as a paper because we like never, wow. ever see a tumor yeah. like that shrink. And they, it turns out it has like estrogen receptors on it, I guess. And because when you have my type of breast cancer, they put you into early menopause because they don't want a bunch of hormones like feeding your cancer. Right. Um, I, I lost all my estrogen. And so that's why the tumor shrunk. It wasn't from the chemo. It was because like, oh there's no God. hormones feeding it. <laughs> so that's crazy, right? Yeah. So crazy. Like so, she was uh, like, we never see that. Okay. I was going to say, so like they were saying, this is rare. Like this is, a, this is a really rare thing to see. That's, um, yeah. that's fascinating. Is it, but like, I, I mean, it's super fascinating, but also, is it kind of fucking annoying? Like, that, I mean, <laughs> like, you have this, you have, you said Kinda. you have this scar I mean, now, fuck. and like, they took this, like, is there, I mean, what is the, what is the downside to not having your, well, your liver, liver grows, lobe? your liver grows back, right? I actually didn't know that there were two lobes. So, like, are they, are the yeah. lobes, are the lobes separated 
so much so that like if the left is gone, it doesn't come back? Or is it or does it grow back like I think livers grow back? So there's like, I think humans have the same as dogs. I think there are six lobes. I'm not entirely sure on uh-huh. that because I only know dog and animal <laughs> anatomy. But yeah, so I think there's multiple lobes in ours too. And the left one is smaller than the right. So the left one, she was like, because I was like, oh, do I need to worry for the rest of my life about certain medications? And like, like already I'm going to like limit, you know, alcohol just because my oncologist is like, you need to, you know, not not have more than like, I think she said two drinks a week for the rest of your life or something. Cause it's correlated with cancer. But anyway, I was like, do I need to like super worry about that stuff? And she was like, no, it might regenerate or it might not like your right liver will be able to do what it needs to do. Like you'll be fine. So they really like, didn't give any, so I would say that part of it isn't as annoying. The scar is definitely kind of annoying, but I've already got like two giant scars across my breasts that I'm like, used to at this point right. and this scar is kind of I, I don't know it looks like a mountain so i'm like eh, i guess That's it's cool, cool. okay so <laughs> yeah. so i have another question about the about and this, this relates to implants because I, I feel like this is the first time we've kind of t- touched on this but if you have a if you have a double mastectomy when you already mm-hmm. have breast implants mm-hmm. what does that look like um like what's the mm-hmm. process there So they basically take out your implants and all of your breast tissue. So they literally cut you open and they go in and take all of your breast tissue, like as much as they can, because that's the, that's the type of your mammary tissue is what breast cancer would essentially probably try to return to if it, you know, if it did. So they take out your implants and all your breast tissue and then they sew you shut and then you have to put expanders in. So I have expanders right now, which basically they stretch your skin for like a month. You go in and there's like these weird little magnets and they put like a little, like little robot guy in there to find where the magnet is. And then they inject you with saline and it's in this like hard kind of plastic. Like they basically like sew it into your chest wall and then the bags can like fill but they're very firm like it doesn't like i feel like i have like bricks on my chest and they stretch stretch your skin for like the first month and then um usually they then i went through radiation and stuff so usually they wait till you are fully like radiated and make sure that your skin can handle it and then they go back and do reconstructive surgery but i've just put mine off because i've been in vet school and i didn't want to take more time off until i graduate to get my reconstructive surgery so yeah, it's crazy. Like stretch the shit out of your skin and then they open up the pockets so that eventually you can go in and get, they'll put implants in. And some right. women only want their own tissue in there. Sure. So there's all these different options for surgery where they can do like this thing where they like take fat from like your stomach or your butt or like other parts of your body and they only use your own tissue right. and they like fill your breasts with that. But that wasn't an option for me just because like my body type. And so they were like, okay, we're like, you've already had implants, you know, we're, we're going to do the implant yeah. surgery, Man, but there's w- so many crazy options. It's yeah. wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would like, I mean, I, you know, it makes it, what you just said makes a lot of sense. I think I would have assumed that they would have been like, all right, you, you already have breast implants. So we'll just like pull those implants out for a second scoop out the actual like breast tissue <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. pop yeah. those fuckers back pop in. Them back yeah. in. Like, yeah. There you go. Wait, yeah. Yeah. Skip the step. I mean, this is probably the <laughs> dumbest question for the people who know how this really works, but why can't they do yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Why can't they it's do not, that? It's not, no, it's not a dumb question. I, I literally knew nothing about reconstructive surgery beyond just like getting breast implants back in the day. So I went in and saw three different surgeons and they all had different techniques. And part of it is because they have to take everything out so that you can get radiation because they radiate the shit out of your breast and your chest wall. And for me, my armpit. So I had to go in for like 
35 sessions every single day and get radiated. And if you have an implant in there, it can like, cause radiation like gives you all sorts of fibrosis and scarring and whatnot. So it can like really mess up your, your skin and whatever implant was in there. So they're like, we just take everything out. You go through radiation, you get your expanders, expand the skin. And then eventually you come back once you're all your skin is your scars are healed and your radiation skin is healed. Then we go back and cut right through those scars, <laughs> yeah, put implants yeah. in, and then you reheal. So when before you um, uh, found out that you had breast cancer, like when you were going to get uh, implants, do did mm-hmm. they talk to you at all about like the mm-hmm. um, like mammograms afterwards mm-hmm. and like the sort of mm-hmm. potential challenges or complications that you could have? And and I'm I, I guess I'm assuming that there's no correlation between like breast implants and and breast cancer but like is Mm -hmm. there any conversation around things like that when you go to have that done yeah there definitely is I got mine in 2015 and they talk about the you know you're always going to have implants when you get mammograms so make sure your doctor knows that and always to just continue doing yourself breast checks and you know continue going in for your regular routine care because you do still have breast tissue in there Um, And then they did talk about a lot, like, I think it was like back in the, maybe it was like early 2000s or even like late 90s. um, There was some research that came out that showed that there was like a potential correlation of breast implants and breast cancer. But then those research studies were basically, I don't want to say debunked, but like it was found that what they found was actually not true. And so they talked a lot about that and how um, the type of breast implant I was getting, like there is no higher risk of breast cancer. There is one particular type of implant that's like a textured implant that I believe was like, maybe it was again, like early 2000s that women started getting. And I think it was more because it's like a more natural feel or something. Um, And those type of textured implants, which I never had, have been linked to a different type of, I think it's like, it's like large cell, a plastic lymphoma or something. Mm. And so when I first felt my lump, of course, everyone's brain goes to like, oh my gosh, if you have breast implants, this is the reason I got cancer. You know, I did this to myself. And so I did all this research and I was like, that was just like the first day or two I found the lump. And I like reassured myself, like, no, this has nothing to do with it. And that was one of the first questions that I asked my oncologist. I'm like, would this have anything to do with implants? And she was like, no, there's overwhelming evidence that especially the type of implant you had, um, wouldn't have caused this. Um, but yeah, I think that's something like, I definitely had some shame about it at first because I was like, you know, I think breast talking about breast implants anyway, like a lot of women are like, I don't want to admit it, but then especially if you get breast cancer, it's like, oh, she did that to herself sort of thing. And so I definitely, the first few months was like, I don't need to share that part of it, you know, but I really don't care anymore because I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I'm an open book with everything. <laughs> yeah, good for you. It de- like it's 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 um funny that you bring that because I I never thought of that. But as soon as you say it, I can see how some people would would go, oh, maybe it's maybe that's what caused that or whatever. And and mm-hmm. I'm I'm happy that you brought that up. You know what the answer to that is? Is oh yeah, you ever heard of? Forever plastics, motherfucker. You ever heard of East Palestine? You ever heard of fucking like just yeah. open your fucking eyes, dude? Know, You're gonna so get true. it. You're all we're all gonna get it. If you yeah. live long enough, we're all gonna get it. Yeah. It it's doesn't so have true. anything to do with the fucking what it like. I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't it, it doesn't have anything to do with anything that you do with your life because anything you try to do to avoid it, you're not gonna avoid it. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's, it's so like, true. It's, it's, it's just such a, like, that is such a, 
that is such a, a uh, just a an ignorant like low hanging fruit yeah. shitty thing to say or do to someone. Well, it's like yo, yo, yeah. you're like. I mean, I I imagine that that probably also comes from a place of like someone's own insecurity of thinking. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, and, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and um, you sure. know, it's especially like stigma around breast implants in general. It's mm-hmm. it probably comes from a lot of people's own insecurities, their opinions yeah. that they form in those things. Yeah. But yeah, even yeah. like the dietary stuff too. Like I had a lot of people like like I eat healthy and I live a healthy lifestyle, but like, you know, obviously like I went to college and drank and like, I like to go out and party sometimes. And like, mm-hmm. you know, and like, I know it always comes from a place of love and that people, I'm sure there are some people out there who have gotten, have beaten cancer without going, you know, the chemotherapy route, but that's a completely different type of cancer than I had. And like me drinking some green juice and like, you know, living a plant-based diet, like that's not the type of treatment that I'm going to pursue. Like my oncologists are telling me I, and, and there was definitely a part of that too, where like, I would just get this influx of people being like, well, have you tried this? Or like, have you considered this? And I'm like, yeah, I've done that my whole life. And like, I am a healthy person. And like, don't, don't try to make me think that this is why I got cancer because, you know, I did some drinking in college. So, and I know it's, all comes from a place of love and so i was very very grateful for everybody who tried to reach out and help but there is a point where you're just like please (laughs) this could happen to anyone you know think of your favorite one hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm curious, you know, as someone who went through radiation and someone who went through chemo, like, you know, we've, we've talked to a number of people on the show who have had cancer, who have gone through those things. And, and they always, every time we hear about it, it sounds really fucking hard. It sounds really, you know, arduous. It sounds like tough on the body, tough on the mind. Um, mm-hmm. What, in your, in your you know, looking back at what you've been through, how do you think you handled um, going through chemo? Or maybe not how do you think you handled, but what were the things that you tried to incorporate into your life to help yourself manage the, like, the intensity of something like chemo, getting through it? Mm-hmm. Other than green juice. <laughs> Other than green juice, yeah. <laughs> Lots of smoothies. Um, so... For sure, I have to say first and foremost is family support, family and boyfriend support, just like leaning on them when I was having days where I was like, I am feeling so crappy. Like my sister and my parents, my brother and my boyfriend, like, I mean, they're just incredible. And they were here for me anytime that I, especially my sister and my parents, like they came out here all the time from Seattle and Minnesota. So that was huge. Um, and like, just, I mean, I'm so lucky here where I live that there's this amazing wellness center where I could get, um, insurance covered acupuncture, oncology, massage, physical therapy, you know, a dietary, you know, consultant. Um, so I was very lucky and I took advantage of those appointments and went to those, you know, three, four days a week. Mm. Um, and then, you know, just walking my dogs a lot. I was not very good at being immunocompromised and staying 
away from grocery stores and stuff. Cause I was like, I just need to run errands. I feel like shit, but like, I need to go do something. So I would just like go for long walks or I would go get groceries with like three masks on. And I think for me, it was just like, I think even though getting diagnosed super young sucks, cause I'll have to worry about it the rest of my life, but it was good in that I was able to continue to stay pretty active. Um, you know, I would try to at least every day either do like a short bike ride or like a little like yoga session, even on the days where I felt crappy. And I think as people age and get breast cancer or any type of cancer, it's harder for them to do that. And I think just sitting around for me were the days where I felt the shittiest. So even if it was just, you know, a 20 minute walk, um, I think, yeah, but I, I would say leaning on, my friends and family and then the wellness center, just like making sure I stayed on top of going to appointments. I, you know, I had never done acupuncture before and I felt like that was really, really good for like my circulation and helping mm. keep my red and white blood cell count up. And I think part of it is just the psychological component too, of just like being around people and like talking to people about what I was going through. I had a therapist, I got a therapist right away through yeah. the cancer center, which was huge. She was incredible. Um, especially like as my estrogen tanked, it made me realize how much hormones like dictate your everyday mood. And they went, my, you know, my estrogen went from a normal 37 year old female to literally zero within like two weeks when they put me into early menopause. And I went from being like a happy person who has never dealt with like depression and anxiety to like almost suicidal. There were definitely days where I was like, so they put me on um, an SSRI, which also helped and which I'm also like super open about. Cause I think a lot of people are so resistant to that when they're going through treatment, but it really made me want to get out of the house and go do stuff and go for walks. Whereas mm. had I not been seeing a therapist and, and on an SSRI, I think I would have just been so, I mean, I cried for like a month straight, like it was uncontrollable. And my boyfriend was like, this is not you. And I was like, Oh, it's the hormones, but still, I don't know. I don't know what to do. So is, yeah, I just like utilized every resource I could. <laughs> is there um is there a conversation about like when you go into early menopause, um, are you no longer able to like have a kid if you want to? And is there a conversation mm-hmm. around that? Yeah. So chemotherapy basically like ravages your insides, including like your uterus and your eggs. Um, and so there's definitely a conversation about that. And I am fortunate in that I didn't really want to have my own biological children. I potentially maybe want to adopt someday, but I am like very happy with the idea of like having a majillion disabled rescue dogs for the rest of my life as my babies. (laughs) So luckily my boyfriend and I were both at the part stage in our life where like we, we knew that like having our own biological child wasn't a priority for us. Um, and so I, that was one really, I guess, silver lining for me was like, it was easy for me to make that decision because some of my friends who I know who have gone through this at a young age where they're still like reproductively, you know, able to have kids, they have to like go through the IVF process before they can even start chemo. And so it's like, not only are you diagnosed with this life changing thing, and then you have to be like, oh shit, well, I guess I'm going to shoot myself up with all these hormones and try to collect my eggs over the next six months to a year. And then I can start chemo. So I got lucky in that that was a decision that my boyfriend and I made pretty easily. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, basically once you go through chemo, I know there are women who go through chemo and can still carry a baby later in life, but it's definitely higher risk. And especially at my age, you know, I'm already 
um, I guess considered like would be like a geriatric pregnancy yeah, <laughs> at 37. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, that was an easy decision for us to make. And actually one of my surgeries I still have to get, um, I will just be getting, you have to get your ovaries taken out when you have triple positive because the estrogen that your ovaries produce, obviously you don't want in your body. So I'll have reconstructive surgery on my breast, and then I also will get a total hysterectomy, which is basically removing all of my reproductive things. So wow. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. speaking of speaking of that, like, where are you now? Like, where are you in the, the process of 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 the cancer journey that started when you were in your third year? So I am I just got my chemo, like my chest port out last week. So it was very oh, wow. exciting. Wow. I just wow. finished chemo. Yes. Two weeks ago. So that was um, yeah, I no longer have to get my like intravenous, you know, direct chemo. I'm still on a chemo, like an oral pill, and I'll be on that for another year. Um, but the actual IV chemo where you're sitting in the chair for like four or five hours is over. So, yeah, so I'm through the chemo and, you know, I did all the radiation and stuff last year. And then, um, once I graduate, I am going to have reconstructive surgery and then the hysterectomy maybe at the same time, but I might wait for another year. They just have me on some shots right now to keep my estrogen low. Um, and then, yeah, I'll just have scans and stuff and, you know, check-ins every few months after that. But hopefully once I get through the surgeries, I will be pretty much through the majority of, you know, treatment and surgeries. So yeah, hopefully by like June, July. Sweet. That's awesome. Well, um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I have a, a couple, maybe a, maybe a couple of speed round questions yeah, before, yeah. We, yeah, before yeah. we wrap, but <laughs> there's so much more I'm still curious about. But, but uh, I know one of the most challenging parts of my mom's um, experience with uh, cancer was the the possibility of of losing her hair. Um, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that was something that you were worried about, and if you had to uh, go through that experience. Yeah, no, it's a great question because that's obviously the first thing everybody thinks of. Like, I remember when when we were still kind of joking about whether or not this might be cancer. Like, my friends and I would go on walks, and I'd be like if this turns out to be cancer, like I'm going to be bald as that. And then they'd be like, no, like it's not going to be cancer, you know? And I was like, of course, that was like the first thing my brain goes to as a, as a woman. Um, so yeah, we basically, I was, once I was diagnosed, I was like, shit, like my head's going to be all misshapen. Like, Oh, this is going to be so awkward. Like I'm gonna have to wear those head scarves. And so, um, my first round of chemo, the nurses were like, all right, you're going to lose your hair in about 14 days. So you can decide if you want to like lose it in globs or if you want to go get your head shaved. And I was like, I'm getting my head shaved. Like, I'm not about to go through like six days of just pulling out chunks of my hair. So I scheduled my head to be shaved, I think on day 12 of my first. So it was like right as stuff was supposed to start falling out. And, um, my family came out, we made it this like little event. It was actually really, really sweet and really nice. There's a hair studio close to me that like actually like helps women going through cancer and does like a free head shave and helps, you know, fit you with a wig. Yeah. They're incredible. Um, so yeah, I went and got my head shaved and they took videos and pictures and they first, do you guys know Skrillex? Yeah, yeah. The, the DJ. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. they first shaved half of it and left half of it long for like <laughs> 10 minutes. And I was like, Oh, I kind of dig this. So it's fun. <laughs> we just made it like a little fun thing. Um, but yeah, so totally shaved my head. And the day prior to that, it had started like really coming out in the shower. And I've always had long, straight blonde hair, like my whole life. And so I was like, Oh my God, this is happening. Um, I like sent them photos. I was like, Oh shit, it's actually happening. And so yeah, we just shaved my head and 
luckily my head was like a relatively normal shape and (laughs) I was like, okay, I guess I'm just going to do this. And I was lucky. I went through the majority of my chemo during the winter. So I just like bought beanies and just wore hats and I bought Mm. a wig and I wore it like four times. And then like, we love going to Red Rocks. Like I, we spend way too much time and money going to Red Rock shows. And so I would just get like long wigs and just like, it was just kind of an excuse to like dress up, you know, crazy. And, and now I've got a stylist that's helping me grow up a pixie cut, which I never in a million years would have, you know, imagined getting, but it's at first it was very overwhelming and sad because you kind of lose your identity of feeling like a, a, you know, woman, (laughs) Mm -hmm. to be honest, you feel like a little bit like a monster, but, um, but as it went on, I was like, this is actually one of the like more tolerable parts of the whole thing. Like once you lose your hair, you're like, this actually isn't as big of a deal as a lot of the other aspects of it. So it turned out to be kind of a fun, I don't want to say fun, but like in a way it was kind of a, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I guess an unexpected fun twist because it just forces you to try new things in a way. That's really cool. I know, like I, I know my, for my mom, it was really, it was a big, um, it was probably the biggest, um, stress for her. Um, mm-hmm. she didn't end up losing her hair um, surprisingly, um, which was like, they, they say it's really unlikely, but she, like, I, I went to the like little, there's a, in, in Halifax, there's like a wig store, I guess in the hospital Mm -hmm. and, Mm, um, going there with my mom was, it was like the saddest, but also it was kind of like cool to go and look and see all the wigs. And like, it it was kind of fun to like, like look at them on my mom and be like, what, well, what style would you rock? You can kind of yeah. have anything. You can have whatever you want. But at the same time, it's, I know it's like a really, really difficult um, yeah. part of it. Um, it's I'm, pretty I'm, traumatizing. I, I'm curious. Uh, I guess my, my last speed round question, even though these haven't really been speed round questions. But, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But I, I'm curious about, uh, I'm curious about your relationship. You've mentioned your boyfriend uh, a few times um, how long were you dating for before you, uh, ended up getting your diagnosis and what is the impact on your relationship been like, if, if at all? That's such a good question. This is, this might be the question that makes me cry. <laughs> um, we had not been dating very long. We were together for like less than a year, like around, I think it was like about a year. He's so much better with dates than I am. So he'd probably be like, Amanda, we were together over a year, but, um, <laughs> Yeah. So we had only been together for a little while and, um, he lives down in Denver and I live up here. So it's like kind of a long distance ish sort of thing. I mean, we see each other a few times a month, but, um, so like we weren't living together or anything and yeah, it was, it, it has, I would say because I am with somebody who is so steadfast and like loyal and just an incredible human and so supportive and very like even keeled, um, it has made our relationship immensely stronger because he was just there anytime I needed him, but he was also not hovering all the time. He, I think it was good that we didn't live together because I am the type of person that when I'm sick, I just want to be alone. And my family really wanted to be out here to help. And so it gave my parents and my sister space and my brother to, be here with me when they wanted to. And then Brandon, my boyfriend and I would spend, you know, time together, um, as well when, when we could, but I think it actually was really, really good for our relationship. And it made him, he and my family are like super close now because of it, because he was just there for me 
through thick and thin. And even though I looked like a, you know, monster, he would still tell me I looked beautiful and, you know, he would do his best to make me feel like I was, you know, strong and, um, capable. And there were times during the early menopause days when I was so depressed where like, uh, you know, all he could do was hug me, but that's, that's just what I needed, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's really, he's, yeah, been, and I think also like the benefit of us not living together and like, we didn't start dating till we were a little bit older is like, he has his own life and his own hobbies outside of our relationship. And so do I. And so I just told him like, I want you to keep doing the things that you do. He's also got great hair. So I was like, do not shave your head. One of us <laughs> needs to continue to have good hair throughout this. Like, I'm not going to allow you to do that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been actually a really good thing for us. So I'm super lucky and, and, and I'm aware of it. Like I do not take him for granted at all. That's amazing. I, I, uh, I, I said that was my last one. I have one more final, uh, speed round, question, <laughs> uh, which is, I'm, I'm really curious when we speak to people who, uh, have had breast cancer. I'm always curious about the, and I don't want to offend anybody who's like really empowered by this, but I, I'm going to call mm-hmm. it like the cult of breast cancer survivors. <laughs> it's so not like, offensive like, at all. <laughs> like it's, it's like very much uh, a thing, which is like there, I mean, you, you see like it's the like people a, it's wearing, a culture. Almost, yeah. Like the yeah. people. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I know that there are people who, you know, um, who have been diagnosed with breast cancer, who have survived um, having breast cancer or have loved ones who, who have, and that community of breast cancer survivors is so important for mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know people who are completely the opposite of that, mm-hmm. um, but it's definitely, I'd say if there was an award for like the most empowered and like loud and proud, um, cancer survivors group, it would be the mm-hmm. breast cancer survivors. So I'm curious mm-hmm. what your experience <laughs> with that community has been like, if at all. Yeah, that's actually a really good question too, because I think I fall more on the like, that's not a huge part of my identity side of things. I would say I'm totally grateful for those communities being out there. And I definitely have a few friends that are within those communities. And I have found support through those friends and some guidance. Um, and I am all for women, you know, who have gone through this and other types of cancer, um, especially those that don't have as much funding and aren't as, you know, recognized, um, leaning on each other, um, to get through it. But I would say that for me, I think again, just being a vet student right now and being super busy with that, that has definitely taken a lot more precedent for me. And then, then, you know, becoming, really involved with any of those groups. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's weird. I, I don't want it to be, I love your dog so much. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Is that donut? That's yeah. donut. Yeah. Oh, so cute. Is he a, Portuguese water dog? No, no. Everybody thinks he is. He's a, he's a, uh, he's a labradoodle. Oh, um, he's so stinking cute. His eyebrows. He, it's stupid. It's to really, die for. It's fucking annoying how cute he is. I, know. I can't get mad um, at him. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, never. That's how I feel about Frankie, my French mastiff with his wrinkles. I'm like, oh, you're just so my. ridiculous looking. You're so stupid. <laughs> you I don't even have, you don't even say less, say less. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I would say it's not a huge part of my identity. I definitely talk about it openly and it's, it's something I, I like to 
I like to, I guess, spread awareness when the opportunity arises because it's so important. I want people to do their self-breast exams and I want people to not ignore it like I did and let it spread to their lymph nodes. And I want people to be aware of how common it is, especially in today's world of like whatever hormones are happening out there or like, you know, whatever is going on. Like there's just so many young women getting it now. And so I, or it's just, you know, more diagnosed these days because of technology and whatnot. But um, but I would say I take advantage of those opportunities when they arise, but I don't go out of my way to, you know, be like super active in those groups. And I think part of that is just being busy as a student right now. Mm. Um, I think those, you know, that culture is, is incredible, but it's just not a huge, it's just not a huge part. I've just never really had a huge interest in pursuing that as like a big part of my identity, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is fair. So, I mean, you know, like I, 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 I mean, I, I say that, which is, I'm about to say I feel the same way about like the CF community, but yeah. um, then look at me here. Like I'm, I mean, that's that's fucking bullshit. <laughs> like, but you we're, we're literally just, about to pr- produce the CF Canada podcast <laughs> over here. But like, but, but that's you know. amazing though, because like yeah. that is also a disease a lot of people don't know yeah. much about, and there needs but, to yeah, be more awareness yeah. about it. You there's, know, there's a difference though. But I mean, I from, grew, I grew up not having like an interest in like really taking part in like the that's what I mean. Yeah, like yeah. the you know whatever the, the like the 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 message boards and the and like you the know, walks the, the walks you can yeah, advocate shit, you know you can be an advocate yeah. but also not necessarily be an active community. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Member, yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. which is fine too. Yeah. Like you don't owe yeah. it mm-hmm. to just because you have uh, been you've been diagnosed with a disease doesn't mean you it's now your responsibility to be involved. Yeah. in the community. Yeah, F- yeah. finding yeah. your finding your own ways to advocate I think is a good point to make mm-hmm. for folks that cuz I, I think there I think for some people and it doesn't sound like this is the case with you, but I feel like with some people there's almost like a like if if they aren't taking part in something like that, they almost have like a guilt of like why aren't yeah. I a part of the fucking clan? Why aren't I a part of the community? Why aren't I a part of like the you know, the gang, the like rah rah. But but mm-hmm. again, advocacy looks very different for for you know lots of different people there's there's many mm-hmm. different avenues you can take to advocate so anyway just just like a reminder for folks but um yeah no i totally agree i yeah i couldn't agree more like i just i think it's for me it was just more like yeah this is part of who i am i want to be super open about it and like i started a blog so that my family could like read the blog and everyone who wanted to check in on me could just read the blog and get some answers there rather than ask me a bajillion questions Um, and so for me, that blog was my way of like telling my story, putting it out there and like informing my friends and family who cared and like educating people who wanted to know, like, what's the process like and what did, you know, what did she go through? Uh, You know, some women who are starting the journey or whatever, but yeah, it just, it, for whatever reason, it just wasn't, I didn't have a huge drive to, to like fully immerse myself in, in that culture. And who knows, maybe that'll change later in life. Um, but for now I was happy just kind of being like, okay, I'm just going to stay busy yeah. with school and this is going to be a part of my life, but it's not going to be like, it's not going to define who I am, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Guys, you know what? I think we're going to see, this is a total aside, but I think we're going to see a, a a rise in um, blogs coming back. Like I think blog like blogs are going to come back now because with so much AI generated content out there now, mm-hmm. like you can't trust what's really real. Like reading somebody's personal true story that you can like empathize and relate with is mm. is like we need that now more than ever oh and for I, sure i feel like we're gonna see a, a comeback a blog comeback mm-hmm. i think blogs <laughs> are gonna blow up 
Anyway, it's very cathartic. I think you're right. I had never like pursued the blog thing or like written much. And I was like, I'm just going to do this for ease of communication. And then it was so cathartic. Like yeah. I haven't kept up with it in the last year or so, but yeah, it was great. And like, I had a lot of people reach out and be like, holy shit. Like I had no idea what goes, went into this. I thought you yeah. got a mastectomy and it was done, you know? Yeah. So I yeah. think uh, I also think uh, MySpace is going to make a big comeback in the next, <laughs> in the next like three years. Top eight, uh, <laughs> yeah. I uh, uh, I know you're I know you're I know you're thinking of your language, this, yeah, yeah, Jared. But I I made my own personal website. As I know. Well. I, I made, know. I remade. That's, watch why, out. that's why I said it. I remade that's MySpace why I said it. for me on my own. Uh, website. Yes. I mean, I mean, uh, what would you say is the biggest thing that your um, your breast cancer has taken away from you? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, for me, I think it's taken away a lot of my, I don't want to say it's taken away my carefree approach to life, but it's taken away my, um, I guess my ability to be like, I'm going to go do, cause I love to travel and I love to just kind of be like, all right, I'm going to go pursue this adventure, you know? And I'm still going to do that. I'm like trying to do it now, but I think it's taken away my ability to be like, I can go and do whatever I want anywhere in the world for the rest of my life and um, have no second thoughts about where I need to be and, and have really good access to like great insurance and great, you know, healthcare. So I think it's taken a little bit of my, um, I don't know, I guess carefree attitude towards, (laughs) towards just, you know, adventuring through life and zigzagging through life. Like, I feel like I definitely have this kind of, I don't want to say like black cloud hanging over me, but there's always going to be something in the back of my mind. That's like, all right, you need to make sure that like your health insurance and your health care is your number one priority for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Um, it's given me, um, it's given me, I don't want to like be super cheesy and be like a renewed, you know, gratitude for life. Cause everybody gets that in certain ways with different, you know, health things and other things in life. But it's definitely given me more, um, I guess, push to just pursue the things that I've always wanted to pursue and to just be like, I'm, I'm going to do them. Like I'm going to do them now. And I'm going to do things that I, you know, thought about doing for the last 15 years. Like I'm going to get a full sleeve tattoo starting this weekend and like mm-hmm. things like that, where I'm like, I never thought at 37, I'd be like, I'm going to get my full sleeve now. But it's just like, like, not like living you know, in a riskier way at all, but just things where I'm like, well, fuck it. Like you never know what's going to happen, you know? Mm. So like pursue the dreams that you want to pursue and, you know, I'm going to get through vet school and I'm going to work my ass off to, um, you know, do things that I feel like make a difference. Um, and it's also just made me realize how lucky I am and how many people who are less fortunate than me, um, and maybe don't have good access to healthcare or, you know, English isn't their first language when they're diagnosed and they have no idea what's going on. Like it's really made me aware of just how fortunate I am, um, to be in the position I'm in and live here in the States, um, you know, and have a good family network because I, I, I truly don't know how people go through this type of life-changing experience if they, if they don't have good access to care. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's just made me kind of recognize, I guess, my privilege in a lot of ways and just be very, very grateful for that and try to um, give back in whatever way I can for the rest of my life to, mm. to try to make as many differences as I can. Well, Amanda, uh, this has been, I mean, you're just, you're such a lovely guest. It's been so, mm-hmm. it's been so nice to like, just 
throw things out there and hear you share your journey so um, so openly and just like you know a total open book like in a way that just like allows us into your life um, you know it's a, it's a really vulnerable thing to do to share this I mean obviously you're sharing it to two guys on zoom but uh, but in reality I mean you're speaking to a lot of people right now and so we really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule today to share so openly. Um, this has been this has been a real treat. So thank you so much. Yeah, of course. I appreciate you guys. You're busy, busy, and you're doing amazing things. I've learned so much from your podcast. You guys have incredible guests, and just the way you relate to people is I just next level. And I mean, you're you're doing amazing things. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.